This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. Welcome to church. You guys look good in all your Bengals gear, right? Are they going to get it done today? Come on. Lisa, cheers. All right. Confident. Uh, let's hope so, right? No one likes Mahomes. Okay, anyways. All right. This is church. Welcome to church. It is awesome to be with you. My name is Nathan, and uh, this is your first time with us. Welcome to RSCC. We know you could have chosen anywhere to be, but you are here right now, and, and that matters to us. If you've been here a thousand times, this you still matter to us. And here's my promise to you. You'll be home by the time the Bengals game starts today. That's my only promise. So uh, we may be a little long, we might be short, but I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about because what we're going to talk about today, I I believe, is one of the most important conversations you can have. And it may go and look a direction that you may not thought it would be, but let me explain this series. We've been in this series and we're kind of looking at two words, go, be. Go means God into the world. Be means live out your faith. Be who Christ has called us to be. And we're looking at one verse. It's called the Great Commission. It's Jesus' final words to his disciples. He says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he continues, he says, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we're taking these last words and we're making our first work. Our goal is this, to go out into the world and make disciples of Jesus, to go out into the world and spread the light, go out into the world and make a difference. And so the last three weeks, you you didn't have to be here, but we've talked about going. We talked about why we need to go and eternity's at stake. We talked about this idea that we need to go and follow Jesus. And we talked about the idea of going and making disciples. And today we're shifting. We're transitioning from go to be, to what we need to be and what, our li- what should be happening in our lives. So I'm going to pray. We'll get rolling today. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are, so thankful for what you do, so thankful for the stories in this room, the people in this room. We're thankful we get to do this. And I pray today that uh, your spirit fills us, opens our ears and hearts, and allows you to work in our lives, maybe for the first time. God, we are so thankful. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So growing up, there's something I like to do. And I think it was because I have dyslexia and I I had a really hard time reading. It took me a little while to read. It took me a while to spell. So what I like to do is I like this kind of like association game where I would look at logos or I would look at athletes or famous people and I'd be like, hey, that person was in this movie and that movie. And, And what I found is that good brands or good actors or good athletes, as soon as you see them, you associate with them them with something. So I want to give you a couple examples. Um, around here, there's this logo. What's this? Skyline. How many of you like are like, hey, I love Skyline. If I could have one final meal, it's Skyline. Anybody raise your hand. I, I've been here eight years, y'all. I still don't understand that, right? I don't understand it. Um, it is not, it, it just tastes weird. I'll just say that. But Skyline, something, something, Skyline time is their, uh, Skyline time is their uh, kind of lingo, right? Skyline. So we see that. What about this logo? Anybody uh, or this person? Who is this? Joe Burrow. And when you see him this year, what do you think? You think, hey, that's a great quarterback. That's a great team, right? So you, you see him, there's some association like, hey, that guy is a baller, right? So what, what about the next picture here? We got, uh, what's this? Amazon, everything from A to Z. And here's just a little intervention moment. Just because they have everything from A to Z doesn't mean you have to buy it, right? So you can thank me for that later. What about this picture? What's this? 
McDonald's. You could be going through the desert in Arizona, you know, and all of a sudden there'll be no civilization, there'll be no, nothing around. But somehow, in some way, you'll see a Walmart and you'll see these golden arches and you'll see McDonald's. All right, so and then we did this one for some of the uh, old schoolers. What, who's this? Luke Skywalker, right? So you associate these words, you see people and you associate things. So here's what I believe. Just like you can look at Luke Skywalker or Joe Burrow or Skyline or Amazon or Starbucks, that when people look at you as a Christ follower, as a disciple of Jesus, not just someone who, who goes to church, not just someone who reads their Bible, not just someone who goes to youth group, but someone who says, I'm a disciple. They should be able to look at you. And uh, some association should be happening. And, and they may not be able to look at you and say like, hey, that, that person, just by looking at their face, they look like a, uh, a Christian or, or they look like a follower of Christ. But there should be something about you, right? And the word that came to mind was this word, different. Now, not that you look different. Some of you do look different. Some of you look good. Some of you look different, right? Uh, but what I mean by that is when people look at us, the word that disciples of Christians should come down to, the first thing, I think, in the simplest terms, is different. And here's what I mean. That we're different in the way we live. That our marriages, we set the standard on marriage. We set the standard on what it looks like to be married. We set the standard on dating. When they look at us, they're like, hey, they, they, they parent different. They spend their money on differently. They value different things in this world. That they worship Jesus and it's like, we don't really understand why, but they're different. That when people look at us, they're different. So I, I wanna talk about that today, but I wanna even the playing field. And, and here's something about our church and, is that we're a church, a unique church where you have people from all different backgrounds and all different areas of faith. And, and some of you, you know, you, you got this deep, biblical, rich knowledge of Christianity and you can teach classes and you can teach small groups. And then there's some of us, and this is awesome that you're like, hey, I don't know anything. I don't know the books of the Bible. I don't know the authors. I don't know who you're talking about sometimes. And that's awesome. So the, I want to even the playing field. So we all start at the same point. We all start whether we're five or we're 85. At some point, we realize that, we're, that there's something in our life called sin and that sin has separated us from God. That there, we can't be right with God because of the sin in our lives. That we need something or someone that, to save us from sin. And then, and then you hear about Jesus. You, you learn about Jesus. You read about Jesus. You go to church and hear about Jesus. And, and that you say, well, Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the one who lived the perfect life, the sinless life. So I could put my faith in him and I I could be right with God. So you put your faith in him and then you start, that's where this word different comes in. You start living differently. One of the first steps that we talk about, we don't always talk about it, but one of the first steps that we live differently is that you choose to have this, this act of obedience, this act of obedience to be baptized. And Jesus commands us to be baptized and you're baptized and you're like, hey, I'm drawing the line in the sand. I'm dying in a, to my old life. And you go under the water and it represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus when you come back up. You're like, I'm identifying with Jesus. I am not who I was before. I am different. And this verse comes to mind that Peter, uh, that Paul wrote. And, and he says this, he goes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so if you put your faith in Christ from your old way, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And here's this idea, is that once you start following Jesus, once you become a disciple of Jesus, you step into a new life. So I want to look at that today. And I want to take you to a letter. And if you don't know how the Bible's constructed, we've got the Old Testament, which is kind of the history of the world, history of God's people, the Israelites. And it talks to us and it shows us how God is working in history and how it's the history of the Israelites and how it points to Christ. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you start getting to some weird names like Ephesians and Galatians and Galatians. You're like, what in the world are those? Those are letters. And those letters were written to groups of people. 
Well, we have this letter called Ephesians. It was written to a group of people in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus was um, a booming city. Kind of, let's think of like a Las Vegas type of city. It was a port city. It's a city where it was wealthy because it was a port city. And ships would come in. And they would bring trade. People would come there to trade and, and barter. And it was this wealthy city and this booming city and metropolis. And, and it had all these different religions of different gods. And in the middle of the city of Ephesus, there were these Christians. And they're trying to live differently. They're trying to live out their faith. So Paul writes a letter to them. And he call, we call this letter Ephesians. It, it's not just in the Bible. No, it's a letter called Ephesians. And it's Ephesians. And he's writing to a real group of people. And he tells them, like, hey, this is how you live. And, and this is what you do. And, and, he, and he tells you basically everything you need to know about following Christ. But we get to chapter 4. So if you got your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 21. Paul starts to talk about this living differently. And he uses an analogy that's so simple, yet it's profound. And here's what he says. He goes, when you heard about Christ, so we all have heard at some point. Remember, we all started at the same point. You were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in you. You, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And he continues the next slide here, it says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put off the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul says, listen, it's simple. It's broken down into two selves. He's like, there's the old self. And the old self, and maybe some of you are in this currently, but it's the old self. It's the part of you that has these old attitudes and these old mindsets and these old attitudes. It's the part of you that you were before Christ. It's that lust that you have to look at things you shouldn't or do things with somebody that you shouldn't. It's the temptations to do this or that. It's the things that are pulling on you. And it's the deceitful desires, he says. It's the flesh. It's the sin. It's like, he's like, it's just pulling on you. And that's kind of the battle we have is like this old self the temptation to do wrong things, the temptation to sleep around, the temptation to look at things we shouldn't. It's pulling on us and pulling on us and pulling on us. He's like, that is your old self. That is who you are without Christ or for Christians, disciples. He's like, that is who you were before Christ. But he says, remember that. That's who you were. But there's another self. There's a new self. And this new self has new attitudes, new mindsets, new thoughts. And he's like, it's why you love people different now. It's why you treat people different. It's why you worship Jesus above all else. It's why you don't pursue righteousness. It's why you don't pursue this worldly kingdom. You pursue righteousness and holiness. He's like, you're in this new self. So he's like, it's real simple. He's like, you need to be different. And here's what you need to do. You need to take off the old and put on the new. And it's this analogy of taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. Uh, we, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, when, you, when you're born, you, you get put in these little like uh, infant clothing, right? Fortunately for all of us, none of you are still wearing those today, right? Because you don't do that. You're old, like, that's old and you grow up, you put something new on. Or, or I'll give you an illustration. I remember my first real job. So in high school, I, I don't consider this a real job because uh, the, the farmer was real nice and cut us a lot of breaks. I worked on a farm for many years. I grew up in a farm town. I worked on a farm. But when I was graduated high school and going into college, my stepdad uh, decided to hire me. Well, he didn't really give me the choice. He's like, if you're going to live here, you're going to work at this job. And I worked at the Kankakee Tank Wash. Um, 
Man, I'm gonna say this as nice as I can because I'm in church. I hated that job. I hated everything about it, except the money. It had paid well. I hated the shift. It was second shift. So if you work second or third shift, like, I respect you. I hated it. Like, it ruined all social life from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. It's like, all I did was wake up, go to work, and go home and sleep. Like, I hated it. Right? I absolutely hated it. I hated the job. I hated what we did. And here's what we did. We cleaned the inside of these semi-tanks, okay? And sometimes it was real easy and, and there's different products would come in. Sometimes there was latex and sometimes you'd have this big, like essentially this giant hose you'd put in, hose that you'd put in there and it would get real hot, it would spin, it would power wash the inside and you wouldn't have to do anything. But every once in a while, this company comes into town. This is an actual picture from the, the work of Superior Carriers. And what they carry, you might've seen these trucks around, they're, they're, I see them every once in a while. What they carry is soap. And I'm not talking Bath and Body Works soap here, right? It's this, uh, they said it, I don't know what this means. It was government soap. I don't know what that means. But it was this thick soap. And you essentially could pick it up. And it reminded me of like the old 90s movie Flubber, right? And it was just like this thick, nasty stuff. And by the time it got to us, it smelled so bad. Again, we're not talking Bath and Body Works here, okay? This lavender, purple stuff. No, that's not what was in here. That stuff was bad. And every once in a while, a truck trailer would come in, a, t a tanker would come in, and that stuff had been sitting there for a long time, baking in the sun and kind of hardening. So what would happen is then it wouldn't move unless someone would scoop it out. And I was the lowest man on the totem pole. As you see, this dude in the picture is about 5'1", okay? He's the perfect size to hop in here. But I was the lowest man on the totem pole, tallest guy on the, sh the shift as well. So I would have to climb the top up here, put in a little harness, and climb down inside there, okay? And I'd be hunched over like this, okay? It was real fun, right? And you'd have to have a power washer and a shovel. And the first time I ever went in this truck, they didn't tell me anything except take the power washer and take the shovel, okay? I, I, I was... I needed more instruction than that. Let's just say that. So I, I hop in there, and, and the uniform you have, you got these rubber steel-toed boots that go up about here. You got these pants, and, and you got this shirt, right? So I'm hopping in there, and um, the soap basically comes up right about this high. So right under my knee. So it, it's, I just take one step down, right? It's thick. It smells. It is so hot in there. And like, I'm like, Jay? Which my stepdad's like, I'm telling mom. I'm never going in here again, right? You're going to in trouble with mom when I get home. And I take one step. I don't know if you know this, but rubber boots on soap, nothing to hold on to. Just imagine that. One step, boom, right back, right? Fall, on my, fall right on my head, fall right on my back, and now I am covered, all right? The only thing that's not covered on my body is my face and my nose, right? It, it's, I'm covered in this soap. I smell so bad, I'm stuck, and the worst part is I'm trying to get up. There's nothing to hold on to in these, right? So I'm like, I keep falling, falling. I have to crawl my way to the little ladder, pull myself up. Meanwhile, my stepdad and all his buddies are watching me in the inside, right? Because they didn't, they didn't tell me how slick it was going to be. I wasn't real smart, right? And, and so I get out, and I'm covered in this stuff. I smell bad. Uh, and my clothes from that day, were that, the, that uniform, that day was ruined. And my stepdad's like, hey, dude, um, just go home. Like, okay, we got it from here. You just go home. But what if I came back the next day? in that same pair of clothes, what would they think? They're like, that dude is nuts. Jay, your son is crazy, right? They'd be like, he's, I, I probably, looking back, I probably should have done that because they may have let me go. I may have never had to work again, right? But I didn't. I, I put on new clothes. Why? Because you don't go home, shower, and put on those same nasty superior carrier government soap clothes. Whatever kind of government soap they have, I don't know. Again, I don't know what that means. 
They may have been playing with me. It may not be government soap at all. I don't know, right? But you don't put those clothes on. Paul is saying this, listen. You don't, you don't get out of the, 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 the deceitful desires, the sin, your old way of living temptation, and step into the new, but constantly go back to the old. He's like, you don't do that. He's like, Jesus is giving you this, this chance to take off the old and put on something new and better. You, you, don't, you don't take off something that is nasty, that's ruined. You don't, you don't take off the part of you that you can't stand, the part of you that gets you in trouble, the part of you that makes you treat people bad. He's like, you don't keep putting that on once you've put on what Christ has already given you. See, what, hap- what was happening with some of these uh, Christians in Ephesus kept going back to the old. What happened with some of us, and, and we don't like, why does this keep happening? Why do I keep going through this cycle? Paul's like, listen, you keep going back to the old, deceitful desires. Where Jesus, he, he's like, take it off, put on something new and better. And then verse 24, he kind of tells us a little bit what to, what to do. It, it, there's these two words. It says to put on the new self, right? Put on new clothes, created to be like God. And what's this word right here? And true righteousness and holiness. So he's like, he's like those are big words. So righteousness simply means how our, our behavior, our horizontal, uh, our, ver- our, yeah, our horizontal behavior, how we treat people, how we act towards people. Yeah, integrity kind of sums it up. Loving, forgiving. It's like the being, living out our faith. And this word holiness is interesting. In Christianity, there's only one way that, that you're considered holy. And so like putting your faith in, in Christ and, and then God being justifying us by Jesus' holiness. So he's like, you're to step into righteousness, a new way of living, and be holy, and it's like you put on this new self. And it's this idea of a kind of a theological term that we call sanctification. And I'm going to try to explain this in the simplest and best way I can. Sanctification simply means to set apart. Um, when you're thinking, I'm going to sanctify this, I'm setting it apart. When it becomes uh, sanctifying a person, it's considered to be made holy. So sanctification happens as you're set apart when you start putting your faith in Christ. And it's a process. It's a, it's a lifelong growth. It's the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's this idea that once you are living in the old, we put, we, we, put all, we, we put our faith in Christ, we put on the new, and now we're set apart, and, and we're getting further and further and further from the, the old. Now, we're never going to be perfect. It's not about perfection. It's about this progress. It's just about not allowing the things in the old, the old temptations, the old thoughts, the old mindsets to keep trapping us. It's being sanctified. It's being justified, which means being made right in the eyes of God through Christ. It, it's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And I want to kind of give you an illustration. Uh, I used to do this in youth group and explain this. Um, I'm trying to explain it the best I can today. So um, let's kind of do this. What is this? Milk. Okay, this milk represents, this is you. Uh, sorry. What is this? Glass. This is you. You're the milk, right? You're, you're lukewarm milk, all right? So I put it in here, and this is... Um, this would be what I call poor man's chocolate milk. My mom would never buy us real chocolate milk. So this is poor man's chocolate milk. So, okay, now you got this glass. This is you, man. You are a tall glass of milk. You look good, right? Everybody looks good in here. You got your jerseys on. You got your church clothes on. You look good. Okay, cool. What is this? Chocolate syrup. Okay. So poor man's chocolate milk, what do you do? You put the syrup into the milk. Well, in this indication, this is Jesus coming into our lives. So you would just squeeze it, right? And then if like, you're like me, that's not enough. You like squeeze a lot. So, right, okay, cool. So what do I have right now? 
I have a milk with chocolate syrup at the bottom. A lot of chocolate syrup. It looks like a caramel macchiato from Starbucks, right? So you got all this chocolate here. This is your life. So some of us come in here like, hey, I got Jesus in my life. Woo, I got Jesus. I go to church. Oh, man, hey, you look at my Instagram. Did you see that picture right there? See that? I'm in a coffee shop. I got my Bible app screenshot. Hey, I'm a Christian, right? I'm doing good. Just, just look at me, man. I got my RSCC shirt on. But by the world, you basically look the same. You're just a glass of milk with some chocolate syrup on you, right? It's just like you look the same. Nothing's really changed. So for some, Paul's like, listen, like, it's like this. It's like you're living in the old, but you say you have some new on you, but you look exactly the same. Well, this is a straw that my wife gave me this morning, and this straw represents the Holy Spirit in the stirring process. So this is where it gets cool. What happens is when you step into the new, you start to read your Bible, you start to go to church, you start to live out your faith, you start to really become new, you start to, to love people, you start to forgive people, you start to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you and help make you more righteous and make you more holy and you're allowing God to actually work in your life. And all of a sudden, now what do I have? That's your question, y'all. What is this now? Chocolate milk or poor man's version of chocolate milk. I'm not gonna drink it. This chocolate milk, this milk has been sitting out for like three hours, but it looks different. No longer looks like this, does it? No longer looks like this. You see, when you step into the new and you allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you, set you apart, all of a sudden people start to look at you and you're like, I, I really don't know what it is, but they used to look like this and now they look like this. They used to hate, but now they love. They used to act a certain way, but now they do this. They used to be addicted to this, but now, man, look at how they changed their life. There's something different about them. And Paul says, listen, it's so simple. It's Jesus. And Jesus brings life transformation. And my worry for some of us is that we say we want the new, but we're not ready to get rid of the old. So we're like, I want Jesus. I want, I want Jesus in my life. And I want him to come into my life, but I don't want to change. So you look like a glass of milk with a bunch of chocolate syrup. And sure, you go to church, sure, you wear the shirts, sure, you post Bible verses, sure, you might do some things. But you're over here in the old. Paul's like, that doesn't cut it. Because you're still living in the old. You're not allowing God to work in your life. So what we have to realize in all of us, because that, that old is pulling us. I'm not talking about perfection. If, any, if you ever meet a Christian that says they're perfect, you're meeting a liar, which therefore they're not perfect, right? No, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm just like you. I'm probably more messed up than some of you, right? But it's about this progress, about becoming new. Like some of the things in the old shouldn't enslave us anymore. We got to be committed to taking off the old and putting on the new and staying in the old. So here, here's what's really cool. If I went back to this glass, I'm like, I'm going to take out the syrup. How in the world could I ever do that? Couldn't. Or I'm going to take out the milk, but keep the chocolate. No. You start to become new, and you start to become transformed. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit is working in your life, and people look at you like, man, they're different. 
So this is where it gets really cool. So how do we tell that we're different? Well, what's the measuring stick? Or how does this manifest itself in my life? What does it look like? Well, then you go buy a checklist. People say, well, it's about a bunch of knowledge. So you start reading more and memorizing things and, and all that. Or is it by church attendance? So you go to church more. Or is it by going to you know, life group, Sunday life group? Or is it by praying more, singing more worship songs? What is it? And all those things are great. But today I want to give you the simplest, simplest measuring stick. This is the indicator that you can take to the bank and say, this proves that I am different. And for some of you, you're going to be, it's too simple. It's not deep enough. Whatever you think deep means, or it's not enough meat, whatever you think meat is, right? It's too simple. But I'm going to take you to right to the words of Jesus. So let me set the scene for you. Jesus is going to be arrested soon. And he has 12 disciples, and he tells the disciples, one of you are going to betray me. So one of them gets up from a table named Judas, and he leaves. Jesus has 11 disciples left, and we come to this part of the Bible, John 13, uh, 14, 15, and 16. And Jesus is it's the Last Supper, and Jesus talks about communion there, and talks about, you know, the Olivet Discourses, all these deep theological things going on. And he tells them essentially this, I am leaving. I know you've been following me for three years, three and a half years. I know you've been with me. You've gone everywhere I've gone and done everything I've done but I have to leave. And where I'm going now, you can't go. And Peter's like, well, well listen, well, Jesus, come on now. We want to go with you. He's like, no, listen, I don't have time to argue. I'm not going to be able to take you with me. You should know where I'm going anyways, right? So he talks about this, but he's like, I want to leave you with some words. These aren't my final words, but I'm not going to be able to talk to you about this later. So I need to talk to you now. And here's what he says in John chapter 13. He goes, a new command. So they're like, oh man, another rule, another command. Love one another. And they're like, oh, Jesus, love one another. We know that the greatest command that you already told us earlier is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, like, listen, listen, let me finish. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the new part. Not just love one another, raise the standard. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, Everyone will know that you are my disciples. Or, by this, everyone will know that you have stepped out of the old and into the new. Or, by this, everyone will know that you are different if you love one another. Jesus, like, listen, bring it in, bring it in. Peter, are you paying attention? Matthew, are you paying attention? John, are you paying attention? I'm leaving. As soon as I leave, I'm going to send you out to the world. You're going to go to places like Ephesus. You're going to go to places that doesn't like Christians. And people are going to look at you. And they're going to tell that you're a follower of mine. Not by your knowledge. Not by how much you go to church. They're going to look at you. They're going to tell that you're different. He's like, it's so simple. By how you love one another. But you're not just going to love how you want to love. No, no, no. You're going to love how I loved you. Or you're going to take your cue from me. And then I imagine, this is how my mind works. He looks at Matthew, who's one of the disciples. He's like, hey, Matthew, remember when you were a tax collector and everybody hated you? And I came up to you and said, follow me. And even Peter, Peter didn't even want to go to your house. But I said, follow me. And we went to your house and ate. Yeah, 
Love like that. Hey, Peter, remember when you were just a fisherman? You're just a, you were going to be a fisherman. No one is ever going to know your name. And you're out there fishing one day and you weren't catching any fish. And I came up to you and, and remember it was like three years ago. And I said, hey, cast your nets to the other side. And Peter, you didn't want to do it. You didn't want to do it at all. But you just, you just said, I'm going to pay respect to this guy. So you cast your net to the other side and you caught all those fish. And I looked at you and said, Peter, no longer are you a fisherman, but you're going to be a fisher of men. Remember that, Peter? And I said, I'm going to build another church on you. I want you to go love like that. Or how about this? You guys remember when we were walking and we saw this, this tax collector and he was really, really short. And one day they're going to sing Bible verses, about, uh, Bible songs about him. It's going to go like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Remember that short little dude? Remember that tax collector? And he's like, we found him in a tree and I went to his house. I want you to love like that. Or do you remember when we were at this, the pool of Bethesda and there was that paralyzed man and, and he couldn't walk and he was just waiting for the pool to be stirred and he was trying to get to the pool so he could be healed. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, do you want to be healed? Are you tired of being sick? And I healed him. Remember that? I want you to love like that. Hey, Peter, remember when we were at your house and this first all started and someone was kind of tearing apart your roof and it was a group of friends that they were lowering their friend into our house because he was paralyzed, he couldn't walk. And, and I said, because of their faith, you're healed. You remember that? I want you to go love like that. I want you to take your cue from me. Don't you, not just how you want to love. I want you to remember everything I've done, everything you've seen, and I want you to love like that. And what's awesome is we get to see every single thing that the Gospels wrote down. And Jesus is like, I want you to love like that. People will know that you follow me by this, by how you step out of the old way of loving and into the new way of loving. Step out of the old way and into the new. And he could have said anything that night. He could have said, anything's the measuring stick. Anything's going to be your brand. And he says, no, listen. It's not the knowledge. It's important, though. It's not church attendance. It's good, but it's not the measuring stick. It's not Sunday school. It's not worship songs. It's not Greek or Hebrew. It's not, it's not any of that. It's love. But here becomes the problem. We are taught at such a young age, and I think we're taught wrong. We're taught is we're almost scared to death. We're like, you don't want to make God angry. You don't want to make God angry. You don't want to make God angry. And we don't want to make God angry. And we're like, hey, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And sin is bad. I'm not saying it's not. But we're taught almost this behavior. If, if I'm right with God, I'm okay. Vert, vertical morality assumes that God's primary concern is how our behavior affects him. And it does. Jesus said the first command, you know, the greatest command is love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. So love God, right? So we're like, hey, what can I get away with and be right with God? What sin can I do and be, be right with God? It's, like, it's not about God. It's all about me because I don't want to make God upset. And I don't want it to come back and haunt me later in life. So I want to be right with God. I want to be right with God in our primary focus. And so many churches become just being focused and being right with God, that we almost forget what the rest of the Bible says. We forget about something called horizontal relationships, is that how you love others matters. We forget the second part. We forget, yes, we got to love God, but we also have to love others. And throughout the Bible, it says, if you do not love others, you cannot love God. That if you hate your brother or sister, you do not love God. And you're like, well, I don't hate anybody, but you're, if you get down to it, you're like, I really don't like them. I don't like this, this, and this. And it's basically hate. And John's like, if you hate anybody, you don't love God. So Jesus says, yes, you got to love God, but you got to love others. And if you're not loving others, you're not right with God. And parents, you understand this. Right? If someone hurts your kids, but they say they love you, they're not right with you, are they? Because you can't hurt my kid and be right with me. That's what God's saying. I love everybody, and everybody matters. And if you're mistreating them, you're not loving me. And if you're not loving them, you're not loving me. 
So you want to know if you're living in the old or the new, look at how you love God. And look at how you love others. That's the indicator. Pharisees had all the knowledge. Right? I'll be honest. The meanest Christians I know have the most knowledge. That's how it always goes. I don't know why. Right? I've been doing this for a long time. Meanest Christians have the most knowledge. Pharisees had all the knowledge, none of the love. They had all the attendance, none of the love. They had all the part. They looked the part. They dressed funny. They acted funny. They looked it. They had none of the love. And Jesus says, listen, it's how you love one another. And, and, and when I think of this, I, I kind of think, of, I know some of you don't like that. I use sports all the time. But listen, sports and Jesus saved my life. So I talk about sports because sports kept me out of jail, kept me out of trouble. I love sports. But even if you don't like sports, even if you don't like football, here's what you got to understand. If you go to a football game, and you, tail, you go tailgating or go to the football game with some of you. Some of you guys do things at a football game or watching a football game that you do nowhere else, right? Some of you paint your faces. Some of you real ambitious guys paint your stomachs, right? And you do things and you say things and you act things that you would never act like at work or never do in public. Because when you love something, when you love your team, and when you love something or, or someone, it changes your actions, you understand this if you're married, you change, you understand this if you have kids. Listen, I'm in this process of being changed right now. I've had a daughter for three months, right? And it's like, it's, it's fa crazy how fast it changes you, right? Sleep, it no longer matters, right? You just kind of give up on it, right? How you used to spend your money? I used to spend it on all the things I want. Now it's diapers, formula, and baby wipes, right? I used to, I used to do, you know, do things I wanted to do. Or I, I, I'm not a crier, I'm not an emotional dude, right? But somehow, since I've been a dad, it's like I watch a TV commercial and I start choking up. Like, what in the world's going on with me, right? Because when you love someone, it changes the way you live. When I married Whitney, she, she did, I do things for Whitney that I would never do for anybody else. Because I love her. I love Natalie. She does things, I do things for her I would never do for anybody else. Because when you love someone, it changes your actions. And Jesus like, if you love me, you will love others like I've loved you. It'll change how you live. If you really love me, it changes how you live. Again, he could have said anything. And I think what happens is we get so caught up. And I hear it all the time, and it drives me nuts. And it drives my minister friends nuts. We look at spirituality, and we make it a checklist. And one of the number one things on the checklist is knowledge. Listen, you should grow in the Bible. You should grow, you should be reading, and you should be growing. But that is not the number one measuring stick. We look at church attendance. Church attendance and being in this community is really important. But you can fake it. We look at prayer life, and prayer life is really, really important. Pharisees had these long, hefty prayers that everybody would look at, and like, oh, they're so amazing. And Jesus said, don't pray like that. And some of us are like, and you hear this all the time, and I, you don't even know what it means because it means something to different people. Like, I want deep and I want meat. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you want deep? You want meat? Jesus says, love the people around you. You want to know, know what a deep faith looks like? Don't come at me with knowledge. Don't come at me with church, your church attendance. Come at me with how you love people. And Jesus says, well, bring it in. That's the measuring stick. Are you different? You want to go and be? Look at how you love people. He goes, well, by the way, I mean all people. In this type of love, there's no, there, in, in this new way of living, there's no line where you're not called to love. 
There's no lie you're not called to love. So let's fast forward. I know I'm going to go through this quickly. Let's fast forward to about 30, 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus. There's a man named Paul, and he's going around writing letters. And he often talks about theology. He often talks about deep stuff. He often talks about sanctification, justification, baptism, all these things. But over and over again, he comes back to this idea of love. He wrote the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is all these things, right? You hear the wedding. He goes to Galatians 6. He talks about the greatest command is summed up in loving the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gets to this book called Colossians. And he says, this is what you're to put on. You're to put on. And he uses the same analogy that he put it, uh, used in Ephesians. He's like, this is how you know if you're living the new. This is what love looks like. He goes, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear, uh, dearly loved, holy, sanctified, set apart, and loved, right? You've experienced God's love. Now clothe yourself. So essentially put on, this is our resume, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And in the Greek, the way these sentences, are, this, uh, these words are constructed, it's the same idea of English of loving with all your heart, loving with all you got. Um, but in the Greek, they didn't say it that way. So essentially, it's a little nasty. Um, it's described as this, loving with all your bowels or loving with all your guts. So if you, some of you guys are, you know, writing your... Um, Valentine's Day cards coming up. Write this, babe, I love you with all my bowels, right? You like say, that's the ultimate type of love. Like, I love you with everything I am. And he says, this is what love is. This is how you know. Are, are you compassionate? Are you kind? Are you, are you humble? Are you gentle? And are you patient? He's like, that's what should describe you. And we're like, well, come on, Nathan, that's too simple. That's not deep enough. Like, that's what a preacher is supposed to say. Come to church, hold hands, sing kumbaya, let's go home, be happy, right? Yay, yay. It's like, that's too simple. But why I can lean into these words? And why if you've been here in my time of preaching, you'll hear me talk about sermons like this at least once, twice, three times a year. It's so important. And I lean into it because of who said it, and that's Jesus. Jesus said, the measuring stick isn't what you do at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday morning. It's how you love people. And Paul just says that he's just echoing Jesus' words. And we can hear this sermon and say, that sounds like a really good idea. And, and like, you showed me some photos. You made me laugh a little bit. I didn't fall asleep. Um, are you almost done yet? Like, you can say all those things. You can let it one, in one ear and out the other. And you'd be doing a great disservice to yourself. You'd be missing the point. Because Paul says, listen, when people look at you and you're different, don't, I'm not even going to talk about knowledge. Is it, are you compassionate? Are you kind? Is there kindness? Is there humility? Is there gentleness? Is there patience? When they think about us, when they think about a church, when you think about ourselves, and I'm not always these things, and you guys aren't always these things, and the church isn't always these things. Paul's like, you gotta clothe yourself in this. And it's this idea that when we wake up, I wanna make it so simple, when you wake up every day, and I, and I pray and I hope is the first thing you do is have your quiet time, and if you don't, maybe think about it. Have your quiet time or you're driving to work or, or you're going to work out or you're going to school. It's, go, it's going to God and praying to God and saying, God, listen, I'm not very compassionate. Nathan talked about compassion yesterday, and I read your letters, and I'm not, I'm just not, I struggle with it. God, I'm not very kind. Like, I'm not kind. Can you help me put it on? God, I've been real successful, and I have a, I have a lot of money. I'm not, I'm not always humble. Will you help me with humility? God, I grew up in an era when gentleness wasn't a thing. It was, it was considered a weakness. It was considered being soft. I'm not gentle. God, will you help me put it on? Help me put on compassion. 
Help me put on humility. Help me when I'm driving in a snow, when I'm driving in a little bit of snow on 56 and I'm stuck behind the person going 50 or 45 miles an hour or 35 miles an hour or 30 miles an hour, God, I'm not being patient. Will you help me put on patience? God, I, I can't do these things naturally. And Jesus knew that. That's why he reminded us, like, listen, you're not going to do this naturally. You got to go to God and you say, hey, God, help me put on. Help me put on love. That's what makes a difference. Everybody's always like, well, what makes a difference in Christianity? What makes a difference in church? What makes a difference in this world? It's loving like Jesus. You want your marriage to be different? Start loving like Jesus. You want your relationship with your kids to be different? Love the way Jesus said to love. You want your relationship with your friends to be better? Love like Jesus. What makes a difference is when people look at us and say, man, there's something radically different about them. I don't know what it is. They're a little weird. They look a little weird. But man, they love. They know how to treat people. The difference is made when you love people the way God loved you by sending Christ to die for you. It's a choice. We all have a choice, but Jesus says, listen, if you're a follower of mine, the choice is real, real simple. And the worship team can come up here. The choice is real, real simple. You love like I loved you. And how much did God love you? God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. And he goes, that's how I want you to love for people, love other people. Because I died for you when you were undeserving. So today, if you want to maybe step into that love for the first time, I would love to have a conversation. I'll be right back there. If you need prayer about anything, anything at all, besides, I'm not going to be praying for your Bengal football game, right? But besides that, meet me back there. I would love to pray for you. If you want to make a decision, I'll, I'll be right back there. I'd love to talk to you. But I want you to leave me knowing these two things. God loves you. You matter to God. And God says in return, if you accept that love, love others like I've loved you. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for everything you give us, God. And I pray that we recognize that your love changes us. That the measuring stick to be different is how we love one another. So I pray today that we leave understanding your love for us and how to love others. In your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.